to Acts chapter 13 and to the verses that we read together. Acts chapter 13 from verse 13. Now, um, as we come to church uh, Sunday by Sunday, uh, week by week, when we sing, we sing of Jesus, don't we? Um, When we pray in church, we pray of and we pray to Jesus. Uh, When we read the Bible, guess what? Uh, We read of Jesus. I mean, that's why uh, we're here this morning, isn't it? Or that is why we should be here this morning. We are here to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. But perhaps this morning... In our time together, perhaps more so than usual, more so than normal, because of what we're looking at in Acts chapter 13, our attention today is going to be entirely fixed upon the King of Kings. Our attention for our time together is going to be focused upon Jesus the Son of God. Today, if you like, what we're going to do is we are going to go back to the very basics And just now, for this short time together, we are going to consider who Jesus is and and, and what what he has done that makes him just so incredibly important to the Christian faith. That's what we're going to do. Now, we're all familiar with, with travel documentaries, aren't we? Travel documentaries. So you've got, let's say, the likes of Portillo, and uh, you've seen his show. He, Michael Pertillo, will go off on his journey and he will show us. What's his show? The Great British Railway Journeys. Oh, you know, wait, there's, there's that. Or somebody else will go away and they'll show us the supposedly, you know, the sacred rivers of the world. You know, travel documentaries. Would you see in some senses, that's what we're looking at today, isn't it? You know, as we look at Acts 13, we are following Paul. As he goes on this, this great journey, this first great missionary journey of the church. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, do you remember how that journey started? Do you remember where Paul was? Uh, we were we were longing last week that Andrew and Maria were there because last week we saw that Paul was in Cyprus. Now, I don't know how you, how good your geography of the the Mediterranean is. I'll not test you just now. I know I would fail it, but what's happened here is that Paul's in Cyprus and he's jumped on a ship and he has sailed north to, the, to really, if you can picture it, to the, to the southern coast of Turkey. And he's got off the ship and then he's traveled about a, a, a hundred miles, just over a hundred miles into the interior of Turkey to a place called Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch. Now, Let's not, uh, let's not get this wrong. This Antioch is not the place, same place as we've been, the other Antioch that we've been looking at a couple of weeks ago. Different place. If you like, Presidian Antioch is kind of like Ian MacDonald in, in the life of uh, London City Presbyterian Church. Uh, because just as we have got as London City Presbyterian Church lots of connections with people called Ian MacDonald, uh, so there were, in the ancient world, a lot of towns called uh, Antioch. So they've arrived at one of these, Pisidian Antioch. And what we see happen is that Paul and Barnabas do exactly what you have done this morning. 
Because Paul and Barnabas arrive at this place. And what they do is they come into the body that's here to worship God. And they take their seat in amongst the congregation. But uh, what happens is that Paul is asked by the synagogue leaders to get up and preach. Won't don't worry, I won't ask anyone to do that. But that is what we're going to look at this morning for the, the main part. We're going to look at what Paul says as he gets up and he preaches to these Jews in Pisidian Antioch. That's what we're going to focus on. And the first thing that, that Paul says, the first thing that he shows these Jews, and this is our first heading, he shows them who Jesus is, the man of salvation. Who Jesus is, the man of salvation. That's our first heading. Okay. Now, I'm sure if, if we use our imagination, we can, we can picture what this would have looked like in Pisidian Antioch in the synagogue. Can you imagine it? One person from here gets up and begins to preach. Okay, we can picture what it might look like. But Paul begins his sermon by really giving these people a sort of, what we call a sort of very brief historical overview of of Israel, of the people of Israel. Do you see what he says? Have a look at it. He says that God has chosen Israel. That's where he starts. Then he says that God's protected, prospered these people, that he's defeated their enemies, he's given them land. Do you see what he's doing? He's speaking about Israel. That's how he starts. Then he moves, not to talk about Israel, but to talk about the rulers you see that he mentioned the judges, then he mentioned King Saul. Eventually, he, he sort of culminates, he gets to speak about, the, the, the main point he's getting to is he speaks about King David. So do you see how he's beginning it? His historical overview. And he's getting, he talks to, to David. But you can almost hear the congregation. Can't you? You can almost hear their brains ticking over, thinking, what are you doing, Paul? Getting up, telling a group of Jews in the synagogue about their history. You know, can you see it? You know, they're, they're, they're sitting there thinking, we know this, man. You know, we're educated Jews, we're religious Jews, we couldn't be any more proud of our history. Why are you telling us this? Where are you going with this, Paul? And it's then that he drops the bombshell. Because look what he says in verse 27. He says, from David's sweeps over history. And then he says, from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Now, I wonder, do you see just how massive a statement that was to make in a synagogue to a bunch of Jews? Do you see it? He is saying to these people, this is your history. And you see this man, Jesus Christ, who's born just a few years ago over there in the east. That man is the guy that you've been waiting for. He is the Savior. He's saying that this is the messianic king in the line of David, that he is the one that all the Old Testament prophets spoke about. He's the one that, 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 that Israel really existed to father, the one that the monarchical system really existed to foreshadow. You're seers here, people. His name, his name is Jesus. 
And folks, just as Paul in that synagogue there was determined that 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 group of Jews, that that congregation would see the centrality of Christ to their understanding of salvation, their understanding of history, their, their understanding of their identity. So I long in here, I hope we all see this morning just how important this figure, Jesus Christ, is. Friends, I urge you not to make the mistake this morning of thinking that Jesus Christ is just another guy. He's just a, just a, you know, a mere man. He's just, you know, Jesus, okay, he's the sort of, he's the figurehead of a major world religion, okay, but he's, you know, do you see that Jesus Christ is much, much, much more than that? Do you see that Jesus Christ is the reason that the world exists? Do you see that this man that Paul's talking about, the man we are considering today, he is the reason that you have got breath today in your lungs. It is about him. Do you see that he is the muse of history, the one that history, all history is written about? Do you see that he is the patron of history? He's the one that all history is written for, that he's the origin of it, he's the, the content of history. He is the hero of the story of life upon this earth. Do you see that? Because truth be told, even as Christians, we forget that very easily, don't we? My mum uses a phrase all the time to me when she rebukes her son. She says, you can't see the wood for the trees. Isn't that what we're like with Jesus as Christians? You know, we come at church. How did you come at church this morning? Were you thinking about Jesus Christ? Were you meditating upon this man that we're talking about here? Were you worshipping him in your heart as you came in here? Yet, consider this. Consider that this man that Paul has shown the Jews to be the center of everything, this foremost figure of history, consider as a Christian you can call him your friend, your savior. You can call him your brother. But I wonder, do you notice where Paul goes next in this sermon? He's spoken of Israel. We got that. We spoke of King David. But really quite unusually in verse 25, what he does is mention, think about this, he mentions John the Baptist. That's pretty odd. Do you see how it's odd? Like this historical overview, and he's, he, he's reached David, and he just jumps all the way to John the Baptist. Now, why does he do that? Why is Paul speaking about John the Baptist here. Well, think about with me. Think about the, these people in this synagogue in Antioch. Who are they? Obvious answer is that they are Jews. And as Jews, they would have really assumed, as ethnic people of Israel, they would have assumed that they were guaranteed salvation, wouldn't they? No, as Jews, ethnic Jews, lots of those people that Paul is speaking to, that they would have assumed that they had a divine right to salvation. And Paul's speaking to them. And he's saying, no, 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 no. He's desperate for them to see. It's not like that. 
This is not about ethnicity. This is not how the gospel works. So what does Paul do? He speaks about John the Baptist. Yeah. But he speaks about John the Baptist's message. What was his message? It was a message, hear this, of necessary repentance. And who was that message to? Look at it, verse 25. Who's the message to? It's a message of necessary repentance to the people of Israel. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's showing Israel that not only is this Jesus Lord, not only is he the Messiah, the Christ that they've been waiting for, but that these people need to look to Jesus in repentance for the forgiveness of their sin. So I'm going to say this to you this morning. Please hear this. Very often we we can do as these Jews did here. We can come into church Sunday by Sunday and we can sit and assume our salvation. You know, we we can come in, do exactly as, as they do. And let's say because we have been brought up by Christian parents, and maybe because we, we can pray, we know how to pray, or maybe because, you know, culturally we identify most with Christianity, because of those things, we can consider ourselves to have a divine right to salvation. Let me tell you this morning, that is not how it works. It's not how it works. Please see what Paul is saying to those Jews in that synagogue. That Jesus is Savior, but that's not enough for you. You see, Jesus Christ has to be this morning for your salvation. He has to be your Lord. You have to look to Him for repentance. He has to be your Savior. So we see who Jesus is. That He is who? The man of salvation. Secondly, uh, what Paul does in uh, in the sermon is he, he he shows them what Jesus has done, an explanation of salvation. What Jesus has done. Uh, okay, over the I found as a pastor and as a minister, the last week or ten days really quite interesting for me. Because through the Presbyterian conference through. Uh, last week's commun- communion services with Hugh Ferrier, uh, through last night with John Blanchard, I've been able to sit back and watch other other ministers, other preachers preach. And I find it really quite interesting to see how other ministers will move into the next point of their sermon. Okay, so some, some of the, the, the older ministers will maybe take a step back and fix their glasses and then they'll launch into uh, the next point of their sermon. Or Hugh Ferrier, I think, took a big swally of water and then launched into his... Well, have a look here, verse 26, at what Paul does. Because Paul is moving in his emphasis, and he's moving really into what is his second point of a sermon. And what he does is he pauses, he stops, and he readdresses his audience. He says again, brothers... Children of Abraham. So he is moving. Do you follow me? He is moving into a new emphasis, moving into a second. What is it? 
What's the second point about? Well, please hear this. In the first point, Paul has shown the Jews that this Jesus is their long-awaited saviour. He's shown them who Jesus is. Do you know what he's doing in the second point? He's shown them how it is that Jesus has won salvation. Okay? Let me say that again. It's really important that you hear this and get it. First point, he shows them that Jesus is saviour. Second point, he shows them what he's done. He shows them how it is that Jesus has won salvation. And because that's what he's trying to do, because that's what he is doing, showing them how Jesus has won salvation, what does he have to talk about to the Jews? He has to talk about Jesus' death. And the first thing he says is that Israel should have been expecting that their Messiah and their Savior suffered and died. That because of what God had said to them, you know, over hundreds of years, because of all the the Psalms about it, because of all the, you know, all the prophecies about it, because of, you know, passages that you know very well, Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant, that not just Jesus, but Jesus' death, how he would die, it was laid clearly, laid barely before these people. But having done that, and this is the, the important thing, Paul then goes on to speak and explain what kind of death Jesus died. And it's very subtle, but he explains what kind of death Jesus died. Now, I'm sure you'd agree with me that there are certain words when used in a certain context, can uh, provoke a strong reaction. Certain words used in a certain context are going to provoke a strong reaction. So, for example, I've not tried this, nor will I, but if you say the word bomb, let's say, in an airport security area, uh, the chances are that it is not going to end well for you, is it? I mean, that's going to be a bit of a disaster. Not going to try it out, but I'm pretty sure. So, you get it? Certain words used in a certain context that are going to provoke a very strong reaction. Now, what you've got to see, what we've got to understand is that that Paul uses a word like that in this sermon in the synagogue. Now, have a look at this. Follow this. Look. Verse 26. He is describing Jesus' death. He does not say that Jesus died on a cross. Does he? Look at it. What does he say? He says that Jesus died on a tree. Now what we've got to understand is that that's like using that. One of these explosive buzzwords for, for, for the Jews. Why? Because all Jews knew the significance of that word tree in a context such as this. All the Jews, all the people in front of Paul, imagine it as he gets up and says, all of them would have known what Deuteronomy 21 says. That if a man dies on a tree, it meant that he was cursed by God. That, that to die on a tree was something spectacularly awful. That it meant that you were dying a death of punishment. It was a penal death, a death facing God's wrath. So do you see what Paul's saying in the sermon? 
He's preaching to them saying, do you see how Jesus has won salvation? He died in a tree. He died a death of punishment. By implication, punishment for the sins of others. So it was a death that was prophesied. And it was a death involving suffering. A penal death. But then let me tell you, Paul gets really to the... You know, he gets to the peak. He gets to the apex of his explanation of Jesus' salvation. Because he says to these Jews, he tells them that Jesus' death, friends, was not the end. That Jesus' death was not the end. Now, here's here's my hope uh, for this congregation. My hope is that as we go through our morning services and as we go through this book of Acts like this, you know, in detail over these months, the hope is that the details of these chapters that we're looking at, that they don't sort of just pass us by, you know? The hope is that they really stick with us, you know, eternally, if you like, that they really, really soak into our soul. So the hope is that you see, because we've been looking at Acts in such detail, you see the similarities today in what Paul is saying here in Pisidian Antioch with what Peter said at Pentecost in Jerusalem. The hope is that we're all seeing that. They were seeing, okay, wait a minute. Paul's argument here to prove salvation is the same. That what he does is contrast, just as Peter did, you remember? He contrasts the, the actions of the Jews in executing Jesus. He contrasts that with what God the Father has done. What does he say God has done in verse 30? He says he's fevered and he has, just as Peter says, he has raised the Son to life. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that this Jesus has a right to the title of Savior. Why? Because after his death, think about this, after his death, he is lying on a stone-cold slab. And what happens? (gasps) Breath returns to his lungs. And his strength returns to his limbs and he sits up. More than that, no, he stands up and he he walks out into the light that just as the Psalms had said would happen, not of David, but of Jesus, that God did not let his whole one see decay. Do you see Jesus is Savior, Paul says, why? Because he is risen and risen from the dead. Now I wonder this morning, if you're you're a, a Christian in here, I wonder this morning, is God showing you anew what what Jesus Christ has done for you? So will you look at what Paul says to the Jews? Are you again filled with awe at the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made? Are you filled with awe that this man He suffered more than any other person has ever, ever suffered in the history of the world. That he suffered that, what did we say, a curse? 
that he took that shame for you and in your place. I mean, if you're a Christian, does that not fill you just now with wonder? Does that not just fill you with the most remarkable amount of gratitude to Jesus Christ? He's done that for you, that tree. Should we not go from here and do as Paul does with these Jews? You know, we, we think this is a laugh, do we? This is not laugh. We should go out and from Scripture, we should tell people that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That he has died a horrific day. But the salvation is available because he is risen. He's alive. What Jesus has done and the explanation of salvation, we end, Paul ends with a third thing. He shows them how they must respond. So the challenge of salvation, the challenge of salvation. Okay, I don't know, you know, if you were asked, I don't know what you would say was the biggest decision that you've ever had to make in your whole life. The biggest call, biggest decision. Might, might be moving to London. You know, um, it might be, of course, a, a decision about a relationship or a decision about work. Look, between, if you've got your Bible open, between verses 38 and 41, uh, what Paul does is implore uh, the congregation to make a decision, the biggest decision that they will ever have to make. So he is setting before them a choice, Okay. So, what was the choice? What's the choice that they had to make? Well, on one hand, think about it like this. This is one part of the choice. He says that if these Jews will believe in Jesus Christ, then verse 38, what are they going to receive? They are going to receive forgiveness for their sin. They will, verse 39, be justified. Now, we, we chuck those words around all the time in church. What do they mean? Well, he's saying if they trust in Jesus Christ, these Jews, not only are they, not only are they going to be cleansed from the wrongdoing, not only are they going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know what it means there, this idea of justification? It's a different usage of the word than normal. It means those people are going to be set free. They are going to be forever released in order to go out and do good works for God. Imagine it, it's a pretty good shout, isn't it? On one hand of this choice, they can be forgiven for their sin. There's another side. Because Paul says, as he ends the sermon, this is his climax, this is, this is it, this is the end of what he goes in front of all these people, he's preaching. He says that if they do not believe in Jesus Christ, that there is a consequence uh, for that unbelief. And he does it. It's so clever. Because what he does is he, he speaks about Habakkuk chapter 1. And remember who it is. It's Jews. These people, all of them, they have no Deuteronomy, no question. But they knew Habakkuk chapter 1. And he says to them, look, just as the people of Israel in Habakkuk, just as they ignored a warning about an advancing army, the Chaldeans, and were utterly routed and destroyed because of that. 
Paul says to the people, all those people before him, he says, please don't make that mistake. Please don't ignore this warning about salvation and perish outside of Jesus Christ. And what we find is that, that some people who, who listen to Paul, they, you know, we, we should rejoice because some of them accepted Christ. They, they bowed. But do you know what we also find? We, we find, and this is the emphasis, that many people did not listen to what he was saying that day. See, the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin, they hear, and this is important, this is what the, 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 the passage is about, the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin, they rejected Paul. Now, they are standing for official Judaism. This portion in Acts 13 is a watershed moment for Judaism. From this point onward, Paul... He will, yeah, go to synagogues. Yeah, that's how he will begin his ministry. But do you see what he said? From now on, you've rejected it. You've rejected the gospel. And he turns and he goes to the Gentiles. Do you see? People here rejected the gospel. You know how I'm going to end this, do you? I mean, you should know how I'm going to end this. Week after week, after week in London City Presbyterian Church, the minister or whoever's preaching is going to stand here and appeal for those who do not at the moment trust in Jesus Christ to bow their hearts to him, to surrender to Christ. Do you know what happens? Week after week after week, people remain absolutely defiant that they reject Jesus Christ week in, week out. Do you know what's almost worse than that? Week in, week out, there are people here who just remain apathetic, who really don't seem to care less. Friends, I'm saying to you that the choice that Paul gives that Sanhedrin is the same choice that's here today before you. You can't be think about it. You can be justified in Christ before God forevermore. That can be yours today. Or you, just like them, can perish outside this glorious and wonderful salvation. I'm saying to you, please, do not be like the Jews. These stubborn Jews do not have God at you shake the dust off his feet because of your unbelief. You be like the Gentiles of Pisidian Antioch. You see it. Jesus is Savior. He is Savior. He has worked his salvation. See this morning that forgiveness for sin is here and it is available for you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do this morning? Is today going to be the day of your salvation? May all the honor and all the praise and all the glory be reserved for this Jesus. Let's pray.